Government contracting has a lot of layers. It, I mean, it really does. We we always talk about the different rabbit holes and how far down they might go and <laughs> yeah. whether they take a left or a right <laughs> to a certain depth, right? I mean, it's amazing. Yeah, between acquisition strategies and contract types and vehicles and colors of money and authorized changes in scope versus out of scope, 430 episodes, and we're never going to run out of topics. One of those topics that we haven't covered yet, it's a relatively unique one, is contingency contracting. And uh, one of our Skyway clients asked us to cover this one, so I I bumped it up. It's been on the list for a year. You and I have talked about doing one for a while, but I bumped it up because she asked for it. I asked you to help out on this one, Troy, because you've been on the Skyway team for a while and you've been a contracting officer, but you've also been a contingency contracting officer. And like it's been almost two years since you and I did a podcast episode, so folks may not know you as well. So give me a quick update on you first. Yeah, it feels like this uh, This is new. <laughs> it's, been, it's been so long. Uh, hey, everyone. Yeah, this is Troy. Um, so yeah, I've been on, I've been, uh, I'm a retired Marine Corps contracting officer. Uh, I served as a Navy program manager. Uh, I'm also a government contracting consultant, right? I consult on projects and I'm a small business owner as well. Yeah, you've, you've covered, covered all the bases. And like I said, it was a couple, it was like a hundred episodes ago. You were on episode 357, which was uh, standard operating procedures, right? Yeah, it, it was. And, and, and in that podcast, we talked about how the acquisition processes have standard operating procedures. And in this episode, what we're going to cover is what it's like to be a contingency contracting officer and how standardizing procedures can be a little bit challenging in a contingency environment. So those of you who, who are new to the podcast may not have heard this before. Our, our Contracting Officer podcast is a private podcast, meaning that Skyway clients get a unique podcast URL so you can access all of our podcasts through your favorite podcast app. All of our 2.0 episodes are available with a 2.0 license, a podcast 2.0 license you can get through our website, skywayacq.com slash access, and it's 20 bucks a month. For this one, though, we decided to make this episode public so that everyone could get a better understanding of what a contingency contracting officer or contingency contracting in general, what it is, and how unique and and uniquely challenging this role of being a a CCO actually is. So let's jump into that. So, Troy, what what is a contingency contracting officer? Let's talk about contingency contracting. And uh, contingency contracting is the process of obtaining supplies, services, and constructing, excuse me, construction by contracting with commercial sources in support of a contingency environment. So then, okay, I'm going to pull the string there. What's a contingency environment? (laughs) Right. It's like definitions within definitions, right? So (laughs) (laughs) a contingency environment constitutes major theaters of war, uh, stability operations, natural disasters, and any other calamitous event. Basically, um, you know, when you have in disasters or hurricanes and things like that, those are contingencies and they may be declared or, or not declared. I love that. I think the, the official government language for this is calamitous <laughs> event. So yeah, you, you know when you're in a calamitous event. So what was interesting as we were, as we were building out this, this uh, episode we talked about this concept of, of a VUCA environment, and so that's a military concept. It stands, it's VUCA, stands for Volatility, Uncertainty, Complexity, and Ambiguity. And this concept 
was came out of the Army War College back in like the late 80s, right? But it describes the environment that the DOD needed to operate in back then. The opposite of a VUCA environment is something that is, we'll say it's the four C's, calm, certain, clean, and clear. So think about like a continuum. On one end, you got VUCA, right? Which is volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. On the other end of the spectrum, you've got rainbows and unicorns where it's calm, certain, clean, and clear. I get in reality, nothing is purely chaotic and VUCA and nothing is purely calm and perfect and 4C, but it helps to understand this continuum. On you know, one hand, you've got volatility, uncertainty, complexity, ambiguity. On the other end, you've got calm, calmness, certainty, a clean environment, and clear understanding of what's going on. So why that we laid that whole thing out is that when I was a contracting officer at Patrick Air Force Base or at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, I was operating under the four C's. I knew I was working on a big program. We knew where the funding was coming from. It was a five-year contract. Relatively speaking, I knew what was going on. It was, it was a four C environment. Compare that to the other end of the spectrum where a CCO operates, where they tend to be closer to a VUCA environment, sometimes at the far edge of a VUCA environment. Yeah, definitely at the far edge. Um, Same here. So actually in 2008, uh, I deployed to Fallujah, Iraq for Regional Contracting Center in Fallujah. And prior to deploying, I I worked at uh, the Regional Contracting Office in Camp Pendleton here in California. And it was a calm environment because we were doing base contracting. But the minute that we touched down into Fallujah, Iraq, it was uncertain. We didn't, you know, there were many things that we did not know. It was an unstable situation and it can go from zero to unstable very quickly in a contingency environment. Yeah, that's a, that's a great metaphor. <laughs> you go from a 4C environment in Camp Pendleton to a VUCA environment, you know, one long plane flight later, all of a sudden you're a contingency contracting officer. So going back to this VUCA concept, so so where does the contingency contracting officer fit in to this VUCA environment? When you hit the when you hit the ground in in Fallujah, what's changed now? Well, even before we get there, there's a lot of planning that goes into it, right? Because the contracting team kind of has to make sure that they're supported operationally and acquisition wise. Ultimately, the job of the CCO, the contingency contracting officer, once they're in theater or in that contingency environment, is to purchase, uh, to acquire the items that are needed to support the mission in that deployment, in that contingency, or in response to that natural disaster. CCOs also focus on helping to achieve operational contracting support. Uh, In other words, CCOs help to meet the mission of the operational commander by helping to develop plans and executing those plans and purchasing supplies and services and construction to support those operational mission needs. As an example, if you're in Fallujah, Iraq, and the combatant commander says, hey, there's a road near our location that we need to help with our supplies, then our contracting officer would be responsible for putting out a contract and getting someone to build a road in that case for that combatant commander so that it supports that portion of his mission that he determined that he needed. So you went from, you're in Camp Pendleton, you got to repave a road. You know how to do that. 
they speak English pretty, you know, they're known companies, probably small businesses you can look up to do this. Now you take that same scenario. And I like your point is I kind of made light of the fact that like you plan a lot of things before you got on that plane. Like there's a lot of training that goes into being a a contingency contracting officer, which is a whole separate podcast episode. But for now, we'll say, yeah, it is. They don't just parachute you in and say, good luck. I mean, there's plenty behind it. But what are some of the other additional factors that go into being a contingency contracting officer? I mean, what's pretty tough, and we were just talking about this, specifically talking about the combatant commander. And basically what that is, is just think of that that's a colonel that's out on the front line. And obviously that colonel has a command. And so he's responsible for the lives of, of his people and accomplishing the mission that he's, he's there for. So in many cases, what would happen is our office, my Marines, our contracting officers and airmen and defense contractors, we would get orders and requests that we couldn't fulfill because they were not in line with the acquisition rule set. That presents a leadership challenge and a dilemma to myself and my my contracting officers because they have to tell a colonel who is being shot at that, sorry, sir, we can't necessarily get you that thing or that service in the way that you want it because it's not in line with acquisition rules and regulations. So there, that is difficult. Uh, but we have to, you know, do that task of, you know, explaining that to that colonel and trying to find an alternate way to get him and his uh, troops what they need to accomplish the mission. That's interesting that that so you have the the unique situation uh, and it's well, it, it's not unique to contracting officers. We feel that a lot where the program manager comes down the hall, the, go- the government customer in our three deciders, the government customer says, oh, I need you to go buy this you know, Mr. and Miss contracting officer. And we're like, well, I can buy it, but I can't buy it that way. Or I can't sell source it to this company. So, well, that's one thing when it's a program, it's a base, it's in a 4C environment. It's a different conversation when this person is in, in a contingency environment where, yeah, it could be a war zone, but it could also be in a place where there's active flooding. Or you know they they need things like now because they're trying to save lives after an earthquake or something, and so you're in a foreign country and you have other factors to deal with. So like, what are the how, how do you work through some of those? Like you have other people that are helping you. Yeah, absolutely. There, I mean, there's language barriers uh, many times uh, because in many cases these things are happening um, overseas or in some other country, and so you may have a interpreter uh, that's assigned to your team to help you to translate what I'm trying to tell this other businessman or businesswoman that this is how it goes. So I need my interpreter to to help interpret. Um, I also, in, in my case, I had an interpreter in Iraq and I also had a host nation business advisor. My host nation business advisor was an individual that was bought into the politics and the culture of the of the area and had an understanding of nuance and how you know those business people saw us trying to engage with contracts with them so there's a lot of different things that you have to consider as a contingency contracting officer even when you you have third country nationals that are also in the location third country nationals also known as tcns these are individuals from other foreign countries that are working on your base they're they're like friendly so they're like from turkey or Kuwait, or from the Philippines, or something like that. And so you have those individuals that are around as well. But Kevin, you and I were kind of chatting about this, that like in some cases, in, in some cases, some TCNs, they, they, they're they local people. So you don't know if, you know, you just, 
you just don't know. And and as a human, you're scared. You know, at the core, you everyone's afraid that no one really wants to die. No one I know of wants to die. And so you always have this little thing and hear these stories about how, you know, people uh, get sabotaged. And so that's always on your mind. It's, it's nothing against anyone else. It's just that it, there's a lot of stress that goes into being a contingency contracting officer in this environment. And oh, by the way, you're working these very long hours and you still have to do the job to the letter of the law. Like there's no variance. You, you have to abide by the federal acquisition regulation and the rules of engagement that you've been provided uh, to do your job under. Which is a great example of how in this VUCA environment, the expectation is you're still following the, like you said, the, the letter of the law. It may not be the FAR because it's, you know, it's different. It's a contingency environment, but there's still fiscal laws. There's still expectation of how you, how a contracting officer is to operate. And so, for example, uh, episode 360 of our podcast, we explained how only the contracting officer can award, modify, and, and fund contracts pursuant to FAR 1.602, right? They're the only personnel that can enter into, administer, and terminate contracts. Likewise, when you're in a 4C environment and you're in the, in the, in the calm, clean, you know, everything's, everything's as expected, you can award a contract with, uh, with known quantities, known processes. There you go. However, as a contingency contracting officer, you have that same legal authority and the same legal expectation of you're going to follow the rules. You're, you, you, you're not going to, oh, I can round up to an extra $10,000 because I'm in Iraq. No, <laughs> you still only have so much money, right? Yeah, no. I mean, one of your most important tasks as a contingency contracting officer is educating the deployed force that that you are the only person that's authorized to obligate the government. Like you have to tell them that, hey, I'm like myself as a, the contracting officer and everyone on my team who has a warrant, like this office is the only uh, authority that can purchase. Everyone else may be granted certain types of abilities. As an example, um, you have what's called forward ordering officers, also known as FOOs. Not fools, but fools. F-O-O. But fools, forward ordering officers, they're um what what happens is they have they are given authority to purchase via SF44 forms, which is a uh like a combined purchase order invoice type of financial document that's used in austere environments where they can go out. And let's say they needed to purchase some wood, right, and some concrete. They can actually do an order on the SF44 and give it to the local vendor. And then that local vendor takes that receipt and they take that receipt and bring it back to our contracting office. And that's how the vendor gets paid. And then the foo on the other end, they also have to come to our office and reconcile their foo account. So as an example, we have forward ordering officers on the Syrian border. Okay, that's way out there. And I was with one MEF, and so our area of responsibility. What's a MEF? What's a oh, MEF? sorry, Kev. Yeah, uh, uh, one Marine Expeditionary Force. So first Marine Expeditionary Force out of Camp Pendleton, California. So one MEF forward was the command element for. Um, the Iraqi war from 2008 to 2009. And so we were responsible for 
uh, Western Iraq, Al Anbar province. So that whole province was the responsibility of the Marine Corps. Camp Fallujah was is uh, in kind of sort of in the middle of the country. So so those warriors and those those forward ordering officers would have to travel back to our contracting office at RCC Fallujah and basically reconcile their account to make sure that everything was in proper order. Or if it wasn't in proper order, they definitely would have to come see us because there was a problem. And if we would not reconcile it, they would lose their full authority, which which is huge because they need it for mission. They need to be able to buy the stuff like like the wood and the concrete and the water, whatever they need. Right. You're giving them the authority because the other options for you to go out there <laughs> with a checkbook and be able to manage it all. Well, that's a whole different ask. Right. And that's not that, right. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, that's not going to happen. Right. It's like I'm not sending like my Marines would not or, or airmen or none of, none of my buyers would go out to the border to do a simple purchase. Because, number one, that's it's that's not logical um, use of your resources. So one of the things also we were we were talking about the combatant commander. What many folks don't know is that uh, contracting is like a it's like a tool to the combatant commander. The the act of contracting is used in particularly in this case, we're talking about like war. But for instance, back in 2008, 2009, we had this concept called money as a weapon system. And so meaning that we would spend money to affect the mission, our mission and the result of the war to our benefit. Uh, As an example, there was the Iraqi first program, which meant that my contracting office was required to look at Iraqi companies first on all procurements below a certain value before we could purchase from third country, national countries, or even back in the U.S. So, you know, many U.S. companies may not understand this, but in theater, a lot of times you have to look at the local organizations first. Why? Because you're trying to win their hearts. You're trying to provide economic injection into the local area to help benefit them so that they won't participate and help bad actors. You want them on our side and not on the other side. So contracting is a very dynamic skill set and it's a it's a tool in many many ways other than just buying. Uh, many times the combatant commander uses contracting very very strategically and, and tactically as well. Wow, yeah, there's a whole another podcast episode in there that yeah, this is this is a really great example of how this is a different role, and which is why it's such a fun topic to discuss. And it's great that you know we have folks on the team that have actually done this. So let's zoom out for a second to, to the acquisition and execution time zones. And for refresher, we cover acquisition time zones in episode number three and the execution time zones most recently in episode 372. And so the acquisition time zones is the requirement zone, market research zone, RFP zone, and selection zone. So it's the process of buying something. And so we, we could go down a whole rabbit trail of how it all works. But what the short answer is, do these apply for a contingency contracting officer? Yes, they do. They all apply. Okay. Is it a very different pro- It's like it's it's worthy of another podcast. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It, I mean, it it is because I mean, what what it really depends on, it goes back to the fact that you're in an unstable environment. And even in base contracting, I mean, this is a good point, is that the time zones change when you're in a calm environment as well. It really depends on the speed of something that's required. And how, you know, what what the actual contracting method is. As an example, I, I think I spoke earlier about building a road. 
know, and so, you know, particularly in Iraq, you know, it's going to be a limestone road and it's not going to look like the, you know, the I-5 or, you know, whatever your local freeway is. <laughs> Trust me, it's, it's still, you're going to think, you're still going to think you need a road when it's done. <laughs> it's, going to, it's going to be a little bumpy. But the point is, is that everything still happens in the austere environment. The contingency contracting officer still has to abide by all rules and regulations that are issued by the federal acquisition regulation and then also by the defense federal acquisition regulation if they are a DOD contracting officer, which in many cases of this, this is what it is. Uh, it's DOD or under Department of Homeland Security because it may be some type of uh, emergency event. And so, but these time zones absolutely apply no matter what, all the way through. Sometimes they're just shorter or longer than other times. Okay, so why this is important, in case you haven't picked up on this, one of the big things I talk about for on our podcast is this concept of what's the path of least resistance? What, what is the easiest way to be able to award a contract within the rules that we have? And so in a 4C environment, you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a simpler and in a calmer environment, we know what the path is, or we have some idea, or somebody in our office probably has done this before, et cetera. In a contingency environment, in a VUCA environment, I'm thinking you don't know the path, or there maybe has never been one before. Well, in some cases, there is no path, and you, you're you there with your machete, or machete, depending <laughs> on where you're from, yeah. and you're creating the path. And then other times, there was already a path there. But just because there's a path, that does not mean that it was the right path, mm. right? Because that initial path may have been the first one, and it was just, it was done the best that it could have been based on the conditions on the ground and the skill set of the team. And so when another team comes along, it could be like, oh, let's clean that up, clean this up. Or it could be, wow, let's continue to do all of this, and then let's expand on it and add more good things to what we're doing, I, I think, as a as a contracting office. Uh, but it just uh, it, different things happen uh, on it on deployments. And so you each one is different. As an example, um, when I took over the contracting officer office, excuse me, in Camp Fallujah at the time, the year and or two prior to that, there were many investigations going on. And so that legal environment and the fact that I had, you know, agents, you know, poking around, not just the office, but just in general, I walked into that, that was different. And so that affected us emotionally in the sense that, you know, you just don't need a cloud or something like that hanging around. But then it, you know, makes you apprehensive in, in some cases on how you do your job, because if there is no path, you're supposed to blaze one, but you, it's it's hard to blaze a trail if you're afraid, right? So a lot there's a lot that can come out of that it's a good acquisition quote it's hard to blaze a trail if you're afraid and that applies even in a safe environment where one of the reasons that we don't like to try a new acquisition strategy is we're blazing a new trail well add to that all these other variables you talked about and it's a VUCA environment and you're being investigated by the by the inspector general at the same time yeah it, it can i'm sure it's it's a, it, it can be tough to say the least so let me wrap this up and we'll, we have a couple, so many other topics to cover in here. I think we will do a series of these. For example, one of the things that we didn't really even touch on when we started to touch on, we didn't dig into, is how the contingency contracting officer integrates with, with the rest of the of the contingency mission. You mentioned the the um, money as a, or acquisition as a, as a, as a weapon, right? As, as, a, as an ability to influence 
folks to join our side versus the other side in a war zone. Well, you get into things like you use the phrase command, having a command line of authority versus a contracting line of authority. Those are not the same thing, but that's the kind of stuff that as, as a, as a, what I'll call a regular contracting officer working in an operational base or an R and D base or on an aircraft program or all the stuff I, that I did here stateside, I knew what that was, but it didn't play into my day to day. Uh, likewise, you talk about the ethics issues. There may be this perception of, oh, well, it's done this way in this country. Therefore, we don't have to follow the FAR. No, (laughs) because we're still spending U.S. dollars. right? So all of those things come into play and they can make the job really challenging. So next time I'm going to pick your brain on some lessons learned and and some some effective strategies that you can employ to to make sure you're doing this stuff as as well as possible. So there's a lot of stuff we went through, Troy. Uh, Any other highlights you want to you want to drop? No, I just I'm looking forward to the next one. I mean, there's I got stories on my mind I want to tell. And I'm like, I feel like I wanted to say more. Uh, but really, the the command line of authority and the contracting line of authority is very important because it is a dilemma that when you're in a contingency environment, obviously, you don't want dilemmas, but you you walk into an instant dilemma because the command line, that's the war fighting element. They want to win. They want mission. I say do this. They expect people to do it because that's that's how it happens in the military. But the contracting folks are like, no, we have the FAR and these are the rules. And I don't care what the combatant commander says. This is this is much higher than the combatant commander. This goes up to statute. Right. So I'm looking forward to diving into that particular topic specifically for sure. Yeah, that'd be a good one. So I'll add the links to to this episode in the uh, podcast 2.0 uh, forum. Uh, and so for, if you're a Skyway client, you can post follow-on questions in there. I know there's a lot of stuff we, we could follow all the different rabbit trails we went down here. Uh, we want your feedback. And frankly, the recommended topics you may have that we may not even have covered. Because like like you said, Troy, there's a, this is a beginning of a, of, of a series of topics on this. To get into the forum, you go to, to our website, skywayacq.com, select the podcast 2.0 from across the header, and then select the podcast 2.0 forum from the list. And that'll, that'll show you where you can post questions about this episode. And again, this was a special free episode to help the GovCon community better understand the role of a contingency contracting officer from somebody who's actually been one. Uh, So to get this and all of the other podcast 2.0 episodes, go to skywayacq.com slash access. And until next time, Troy, thanks again for being on here and I will catch you soon. Thanks, Kevin. See you tomorrow. See you.